What happens when a fintech and a challenger bank team up to meet the needs of an underserved SME marketplace? The answer? Cashflow Manager, an app that puts all the user's business bank accounts in one place and makes it easy to send and request payments. It's a collaboration between two forward-thinking companies, and on today's episode, we'll hear from Jonathan Holman, Head of Digital for Santander, and Nick Heller, the co-founder and CEO of TomatoPay, here on Dave and Darm Demystify. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Darm Demystify show. Dave and Darm Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Darm Mystery. Demystify. Welcome to the Dave and Darm Demystify Show. And this week we have two very special guests and... They are Nick Heller and Jonathan Holman. There's been a lot of talk about banks and fintechs, fintechs attacking banks, banks responding, and then suddenly banks working with fintechs. We want to explore that area a little bit more. And we saw this really fascinating kind of launch by Santander on Cashflow Manager. So that caught our attention. And maybe we can ask Jonathan to kind of introduce himself and then over to Nick to introduce himself. Thanks very much for having us. It's nice to be with you. So yeah, I'm Jonathan Holman. I'm head of digital for Santander Corporate and Commercial, but that includes our um, larger SME customers. And yeah, I've got the privilege of having a very broad role covering financial crime, credit risk, legal and fulfillment activities, big data, AI, open banking, fintech ecosystem, and indeed all the major processes within the bank in and around all those things, including things like sales and servicing activity. So it's a broad role. And as a result, I get to speak to all sorts of technology companies and all sorts of fintechs about how to make our customers and our colleagues' lives better. Brilliant. And Nick, tell us a bit more about your company. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much for having us on the show. Nick Heller, co-founder, CEO of Tomato Pay, And we're a payments business focused on supporting small, medium-sized enterprises and how they collect revenue. And ultimately on a mission to help them get better access to financial services. So as one of the underserved markets in retail banking stuck between consumer and corporate, we've sort of been looking at the space for a number of years, thinking how can we use sort of data, technology, and regulatory innovation to better address this market and to really support small businesses that we all know are part of our local communities and hugely important to the general economy. So we focus on open banking powered payments through the likes of instant payments and instant collection, which give our customers, our SME customers, access to their cash in real time on the faster payment rails. So addressing the idea of working capital and the fact that it's difficult for those businesses to operate if money is being held back from them or if they're paying a high cost in transaction fees. And we also are launching a smart invoicing solution that really helps businesses move from 
offering a quote to their customers through to a contract, through to invoicing and taking them through that journey and sort of digitizing that entire operation. Again, helping with their working capital, ultimately empowering the likes of our partners, the likes of a Santander or a lender to be able to use data to underwrite loans more efficiently and effectively and add to the overall benefit of the SMEs and ultimately to the whole financial ecosystem in this space. Wow. I mean, that's a compelling proposition. I love it, right? But Jonathan, I have to ask you, isn't that the role of the bank? I mean, what prompted you to partner rather than build this yourself? Yeah, I think this is like an interesting question and one that you know, maybe didn't used to come about so much. I don't think that banks would have gone, right, technological innovation in the 70s equals an ATM. Therefore, we're going to manufacture the buttons that are the, you know, where you're going to type in the numbers on the ATM, right? And I started to see technology in all aspects, especially in the API economy, in the same sort of category that why is it that the first instinct of most banks is to sort of insource so many activities when it's not their specialism, the pace of change of technology and the API economy has moved incredibly quickly, as indeed has the regulatory landscape and banks have been struggling to keep up with the regulatory burden that something like open banking has created to be compliant in making their data available or making their payments able to be initiated by someone else and as a result something that's described as probably the biggest change in the banking industry in the last hundred years if not ever that a third party can control payments and access all the data hasn't really been taken advantage of by the banks and they've got the most to gain from it directly, right? Because this is access to their competitors' customers. And that's because the burden of meeting the obligations has been high, costly, you know, difficult for some banks, depending on their infrastructure. And as a result, they're not thinking about how to take advantage of it themselves, how their colleagues would want to make use of it, or how their customers could benefit from it. And I didn't want that opportunity to go by. I didn't want the UK going first on open banking, the regulatory change pushing ahead of PSD2 and other open banking agendas around the world, the framework of how that's implemented in a standardized way so that it's viable to implement, to not be something that we immediately brought to bear for our customers. And especially in that SME space, which I think, not speaking of Santander, but personally, the industry in the UK over the last 20 years, 30 years, has underserved in product, in proposition terms, in innovation terms, and obviously that was one of the findings of the CMA that led to open banking coming into existence. I mean, you're absolutely right. And you said it, SME banking falls between the juggernauts of personal and corporate. And, you know, certainly in my experience has always been the poor relation in the whole experience. One of the things I'm kind of interested in is it's Santander's sort of seen the opportunity with Cashflow Manager to really lean into something which I guess other banks are solving through things like marketplaces. Why did you feel it was kind of important to be much more joined up in terms of that proposition rather than going to the market? You know, there are fintechs out there who are solving this problem. Why did you feel it was really important to offer it as a solution, which I guess is a Santander sort of branded solution in many ways? Yeah. So, I mean, look, there's many consequences of the financial crisis that have played out in the industry. But one of the dynamics that emerged was that even though people lost their love of banks as you know an investment share asset class as well as businesses and maybe the reputation of the industry but they never lost their trust and i think 
the last 18 months and the way the banks responded to the pandemic and the government lending schemes and other you know emergency measures that need to take place showed the role and the power and the importance of intermediation and so i think that's gone some way to restoring the banking industry's collective reputation i'm certainly proud of what my team did and what santander was able to do as part of those schemes digitizing them and getting them to operate at scale very quickly and then i think compounding that restored reputation with the regulatory-led innovation, which it has been regulatory-led, but nonetheless the innovation that's now there that's opening up new possibilities, with the trust that banking brands bring and the innovation that external tech organizations like Nix have been able to assist with, I think that's quite a potent combination that puts banks back at the forefront of financial services where they rightly should be. But there was a sort of time, I don't know, in the early 2000s through to the middle half of the current decade where the banks were almost resigning themselves to everybody else did innovation in every other sector or indeed in financial services itself. And it wasn't something that the banks were doing. And how does it play out for you, Nick? I mean, on the other side of things. So I can see like Jonathan gets the innovation, right? And they slap their trusted brand right on top of it. But how does it help you in the longer term as well? I should mention that I have a varied background. I've worked in financial services as a fixed income trader, and then I've been in technology for the last 20 plus years and started several businesses and worked very heavily in the telecom space and in big tech. And I think one thing about financial services is although it can in many senses be very innovative, it's sort of innovative on a broad scale, not on individual companies doing massive innovation at once because it's a regulated space. And so you look at other markets like the telecom space, and there was a time, a heyday, when the mobile phone companies were you know, making 80% margins and were really controlling the usage and access to content and services. And then came these over-the-top players, the likes of the big internet companies, which ended up acquiring those customers and actually offering even more value and driving even higher profits on top of their infrastructure. And so I think the one benefit that the financial industry has had is because they are somewhat slow moving, innovation happens on a broad sense. It's really interesting and I think very appropriate that they've taken sort of the best of both worlds to say, actually what we have is a balance sheet and the ability to lend and take in deposits. And what other individual companies are doing, lots of fintechs like TomatoPay are innovating in a very specific space and are innovating on top of our platform, but rather than either sort of build a whole marketplace and you could look to the likes of a Vodafone marketplace or a telecoms marketplace and say, how successful are those marketplaces when you just actually slap up a marketplace and say, let the consumer decide versus actually partnering with best of breed and taking those to market in a unified way, which is what Jonathan and the team at Santander have done with us. So it's hugely valuable to us. It allows us to focus on our core strength. Although we're a regulated payments institution, we're not a financial services player per se. We don't intend to do lending. We want to facilitate lending in a win-win-win scenario for ourselves, the SME, and ultimately for our partner, the bank, which lowers their costs and adds to efficiency in the entire sector. So I look to other markets and see how this is played out. And we try and adopt the best practices here in these partnerships. And I think that's what we've been able to carve out. If I look at it from the SME point of view, it's great to hear about that whole area of trust, because I think that's absolutely right. For whatever reason, 
people do still trust the large organisations. And certainly in terms of the research which I've done, they want more from those organisations. If you look at, you know, setting up a small business, actually most of them are kind of cash flow based businesses. So actually fixing that and offering a proposition up front, I think is an incredibly, incredibly powerful thing to do. And I think potentially sets you apart from some of the other players out there. So having that broader proposition feels like a really interesting thing to do. Yeah, and I think that is the heart of what we're trying to do. We're not trying to transform something that isn't the core of our business. This is very much in the heart of the propositions we want to offer SMEs, and indeed we do today. And it isn't just reinventing the wheel. I mean, most of the digitization that's taken place and the disruption, if you can even call it that, because it hasn't been terribly disruptive, that's taken place in banking has been to just recreate what already exists, right? The neobanks do direct debits and they had to add that and then they had to add standing orders and they had to add debit cards and then they had to add savings accounts. And well, we've already got all of that, right? And you put an app and a middleware layer on top of that and you've got neat interaction with those features. And so there's not loads of innovation in that space. And there hasn't been loads of products and propositional space. The most impressive space in innovation in financial services has been wealth management, which was also probably underserved for a wider consumer market in robo-advice or in the democratization of access to lots of different types of investments or the ability to do that at low fees, low costs and do it anywhere. I think that's probably the most pioneering space in financial services in terms of disruption. However, in the SME space, because the credit risk has been an area that the banks haven't been able to really impart their balance sheet like they have in other areas. It's not the core of the balance sheet like stable mortgages and it's not the corporate lending. There is a gap there and obviously that's been articulated as the funding gap. And although Santander's ambition isn't to you know, plug the funding gap in its entirety in the UK, there are definitely viable lending opportunities that are cash flow based, as you rightly articulate, as the main SME asset that if only the payments and invoicing and collections and cash flow infrastructure was tightly coupled together. And Nick and I have talked about this a lot, this idea that, you know, we've had the invoice be digitized, but it's still not connected to the payment, the accounting platform, and not automatically reconciled, which has been digitized. And those three problems have been solved separately. And we've had people try to sort of solve them all at the same time, but the retrofit of being able to bring those together to be able to solve the largest SME problem, which is the funding gap and their cash flow, transforming the risk appetite the banks are able to take because of the way that you're able to lend and able to repay. That's where we are focusing our core proposition. And although that's going to manifest itself by talking about payments and talking about cash flow forecasts at first, soon we're going to start being able to talk about the lending that we do in and around those and using digital payments as a means of repayment for that financing. And that's where we think the revolution will come. And I did my master's in banking not so long ago. You talk about key bits of legislation. You talk about key bits of technological innovation when you're looking at the history of banking. I think there'll be a time when we look back and say, there was a time before when we did lending and we vaguely hoped that at the right time of the month on the 15th or the 17th, you know, when a direct debit went out, there was some money in that account to be repaid. And there'll be a time after that when we said, you know what, life doesn't work like that in business. And especially in small business, they are volatile and fluctuating by their very nature. They've got big customers and small customers. They need big working capital and small working capital. Sometimes year on year, you know, the trends varied. And you know what? We need to lend them what they need when they need it. And they need to repay it. And we need to be able to intercept that revenue when they can afford it. And if we can do that, we can very much materially change the credit risk 
that otherwise we would experience. And we can have intelligence manage that repayment. And all of that AI, digital payments, reconciliation stuff is all possible because of technology. And so it's opened the doors, but it will change fundamentally the proposition hopefully we're able to offer. So what you're saying is the more you do it, the more you'll understand the risk and the more you'll be able to do it. There is definitely that element to it, virtuous circle, flywheel effect. And there's definitely that aspect to open banking that, you know, an ecosystem that, that operates on these principles can continue to develop and evolve and merge and create more common standards. But the crucial element is just if we can intercept the cash flow legitimately without the customer's customer, the SME's customer knowing that that's what we're doing as a source of repayment, which is exactly what PayPal have been doing, which is exactly what Amazon have been doing when they've been lending to SMEs. That opportunity changes the risk profile, which means you can deploy a lot of balance sheet very safely, very quickly, and you know begin to service the funding gap. Again, it goes back to sort of the SME, you're solving real problems for them. I was looking at a whole thread on LinkedIn about late payments. And I think that is, I mean, in this day and age, still something that we as a small business community suffer from. I seem to spend a lot of my time just chasing up basic payments. One question I had is, Will this include international as part of the proposition? Does it include international payments or are you just sort of UK focused? The only reason I ask is I've set up a small business last year and all my first clients seem to be international. And in a way, I didn't want that to happen, but that's the way it's gone. First, open banking does include the ability to pay out money internationally. But Santander's investing a lot of money in our Pargo Next proposition and including that Pargo FX as our foreign exchange payments proposition between America, Europe, you know, Spain and Poland and the UK in those three major currencies, sterling, euros and dollars. And there's no reason why we can't sort of begin to bring these propositions together and, you know, have a smart invoice able to be fulfilled by an international payment. And I think, you know, that's increasingly pertinent in, you know, a market where it's just as economic to import from Brazil as it is from the EU, potentially with tariffs, that you might want to do that and have that opportunity. What you're saying, Dave, is about embedding the proposition into the operations of the SME. Like ultimately, where are they collecting revenue from, whether it's nationally, locally or internationally? It's about being a part of that process. And I think traditionally banks, although fundamentally they are there, they're not necessarily in the day-to-day operations around revenue collection. And so in your case, you're talking about collecting revenue internationally, and that is Hugely important, especially as Jonathan points out, with now, you know, tariffs and duties and VAT and other things that are complex at having to pay with international money movements. So the more that the bank and through a proposition like Cashflow Manager can assist to automate and alleviate some of that anxiety and pain that a small business owner feels, then the more that they'll encourage usage and ultimately have a better understanding of that business to be able to lend against using revenue-based finance that Jonathan pointed out earlier. So absolutely, I think we're starting in the UK, but we see this definitely as a European proposition. And these trends are global when we're talking about trends like open banking and the digitization of these processes. So our aspiration is definitely thinking about multiple markets. I'm also very quite interested in how you got together. I mean, was it through a hackathon? Did you just apply onto the develop a site. I mean, (laughs) tell us a story there. A LinkedIn connection or... (laughs) Yeah, so we met through an innovation workshop that one of the consultancies had heard for us as part of moving into our first phase of digitization some time ago. 
I make it my business to be very well connected and networked in the fintech space. And it's you know one big happy family when you get into it. And there's a lot of connections there. But as I was sort of saying before, we're trying to pick the best technology partners to work with. And we're trying to pick what we consider to be the most innovative and the most useful operators in each space. So that whether that's a workflow system, an e-signature platform, CRM, you know, an accounting platform aggregator, open banking aggregator, uh, open banking payments provider. There's lots of different categories of tech now. But you find that the winners and the ones who are innovating in their own space begin to start to work away, operate with the others and interconnect. So there's synergies there. And we've got Tomato Pay and Cashflow Manager integrated with Encino, for example, the bank operating system. And you find that those synergies occur. But it was because Tomato was so early involved in being a sort of regulated AISP and PISP in the open banking space that they had been thinking about what the innovation gaps were for a long time and therefore had struck upon the same sort of ideas that we had been thinking. Finding a kindred spirit in Jonathan, someone who's passionate and cares about the SME banking space and has worked for a number of years in that space to solve the problem, the big problem there, that was hugely beneficial. But also Santander as an organization in the UK is sort of just the right size. I mean, arguably a challenger bank has enough scale to be a real player. And as a result, is innovating, is forward thinking, is not playing defense, is playing offense and really out there trying to service their customer base and grow their customer base. That's the right partner for us. I mean, not a neobank that is still just trying to acquire, not a big, huge incumbent that is just trying to preserve status quo. And so I think there was a bunch of connections that really made sense for us and for both sides that allowed us to execute on our strategy. We're going to have to close, but just one final question. I guess you've got cash flow manager in place. Are there any other innovation, any other sort of partnerships you've got coming up which you can talk about? Nothing in the short term. I suppose the other part of cash flow manager we haven't talked about is with Untied. The automated tax open banking service will add that to the back of cash flow manager, not as a part of the app, but a deep link integration. So if people using the app want to also permission potentially their current account or they operate their small business through their current account, they can permission that data, differentiate between personal and business transactions, and then complete an automated self-assessment. And we'll look to expand, I think, that proposition with Untied into potentially an import duties. And so, you know, I think that's going to be an exciting part of the proposition, because I think automated tax is that last part of invoice, payments, accounting, then tax is the obvious next step. Again, an area that the UK is massively innovating with making tax digital, I think that will prove to be a really interesting part of the ecosystem that develops and a whole area of value add that doesn't feature it currently. I think that's incredible. Taxes is bewildering to most people, to be honest. Is it 2023 where everybody with a business is going to be having to upload digital tax returns? Including all landlords, right? Which is a big chunk of the population, yeah. Very interesting. Well, listen, it's been a fascinating chat. So thank you so much for joining us. We really look forward to seeing what happens with Cashflow Manager over the next few months and years. So thank you so much, Nick and Jonathan. Thank you. Thanks very much for having us. Dave, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.